0: the vibes we're back the hoop genius podcast presented by nba 2k22 if you don't already have your copy hit the link in the description and get yours now because myself maruzzi alongside the legend that is bj armstrong and today i've got to tell you one thing this is called the hoop genius podcast but my knowledge of basketball is nothing in comparison to today's special guest (laughs) if i was to read you his cv and his experience he have been doing this since longer than I've been alive. A real OG in the game. A man who's been there, seen it all, done it all. Coached some of your favorite players. Coached some of the greatest players of all time. Two-time NBA champion, Coach Brendan Sir. Thank you for joining the show.
1: It is an honor, Mo. BJ has been bragging about you and your show that you guys have. And I am honored, to be honest.
0: Man, BJ's been telling me about you the whole way through. He's since day one. He said, "Listen, we got to get coach on the show. We got to, all this stuff we talk about. We got to get coach's perspective." So I appreciate you taking the time to join.
1: Thanks, and I, I, you know, and I, I go all over the world to teach and coach the game and educate. And I love our fans. I love Europe, love London, uh, and all of England. So it is really fantastic to be on with you guys.
2: You know when when when. When you have an opportunity to compete against someone, you really find out who they really are. And I hold Coach Sir and the Late Chuck Daily in the highest regards. This is my Yoda. This is my teacher. This is my mentor. And when I tell you he's a basketball savant, I truly mean it. You hear these terms, genius thrown out. Coach knows this game. He is a basketball life lifer. I I, I don't even feel comfortable calling him Coach. Because he's a lifer, this is what he does, and I'm so happy and so pleased for him to be here and share his knowledge. Hopefully, he'll come back and join us, where the fans and our listeners can come back and ask him questions. Because I'm telling you, he is the best, and he's seen it all. He's been there. He's done that. And Mo, I can't wait for today's uh, episode. And we're going really to call him.
0: We're going to call him a real life legend because I think. Yes. It's important yes. we give the flowers to those because everyone likes to give flowers when it's too late. So we've got to show appreciation. Yeah, just gonna, to I mean, like, hey, let's hey.
1: not overdo the damn flowers. All right. <laughs> Here's,
0: the thing. Here's the thing. As much as we can talk up how great of a coach and how great your knowledge is, the people, if they want to find, if they love this episode, they can catch your podcast as well. The coaching you podcast. Do you want to tell the people before we get into today's topics? where they can find more of your content and learn more of the game from you as well.
1: Yeah. You know, Mo, we, we, we've been trying to, uh, you know, kind of happened by accident, but we, we really tried to help coaches, you know, in the, in the United States get better. And then the next thing, you know, the Canadian coaches came involved and then the Australian coaches. And then frankly, a couple of years ago, I found out through the internet that we had 178 co- countries listening to our podcast. And that was shocking, flattering, humbling. And that, that is the best part. So my mission now in life is to try to educate the world in basketball because I think coaching is one of, the, it's one of the neatest professions in the world because as BJ and I have endless hours of conversations about coaching, but coaching is about taking players where they can't take themselves. I don't care who you are as a great player. And that's what we try to do. And that's what we try to teach coaches to do worldwide. And that's what we're excited about. So any week they come on, they can hear coaches from not just in the States, from Australia, from Europe, uh, you know, on our podcast. And I think they'd like it. CoachingYouLive.com is our uh, website. And please, uh, you know, just we would we'd be honored to have you listen
0: coaching you and that's with a u not y-o-u it's the letter u if you guys are listening to this on audio you got it confused but before we get we're going to talk about some of the teams and players in the nba right now but you know i've heard so much about this relationship and how you've taught bj so much i need to take it all the way back how did you guys first meet can you share that story with the listeners how did you first cross paths and how has this friendship developed over the years
1: well, it, it, you know, the friendship developed, uh, when I was coaching the Pistons and he was a phenomenal high school player, uh, in Michigan. And, uh, the year that I went there to coach, he was a senior in high school at brother Rice high school, which is a phenomenal, uh, private school. And he nearby where we lived and he was one of the best guards in the country. And the following, uh, you know, he was at, and then he went to Iowa uh, you know, University of Iowa, and was an All-American. Could have gone anywhere in the country, but he goes to Iowa. And then after we won our world championship, he came in the NBA as a rookie to play against the <laughs> great Isaiah Thomas and others. And so, I just loved the way he played. I loved him because he was a, he you know, Detroit has a bad rap of tough kids and all that. This was a gentleman playing basketball and a genius as far as a smart player. And I loved his class and his style that he played with. And then. You know we competed against each other because the Pistons and the Bad Boys, the Pistons were and the Bulls were we didn't like each other, you know. And we, we, had, we had we had really neat battles and and uh, the competition was fierce. Uh, and the funny thing was the players on both teams they competed so hard against each other, but there was such great respect. And then later in my career, uh, the great Chuck Daly and I got to coach him. Uh, which turned into, you know, yep. a, a dream come true. And that's how our relationship really accelerated.
0: BJ, did you always find it tougher going up against the Pistons when you know Coach over there has been watching you way before everyone else? So, you know, he knows all your tricks. He knows what you're trying to do on the court. No, no, I, I, I didn't. Um, I know it, the, the key, Mo, and,
2: and, and to our, our listening audience here is there was a level of respect and he was the very best at what he did all right you know chuck daly was as well respected as any coaches ever stood on the sidelines and he had phenomenal coaches and one of those phenomenal coaches was coach sir and we had a pretty good team you know at the time this was a young coach in phil jackson who hadn't won what 10 11 championships which he eventually went on to do but he, we were all trying to find a way. Michael Jordan was a young player and there was an obstacle in his way. And that was the Detroit Pistons and the bad boys. The Detroit Pistons were perhaps the greatest defensive team in the history of the NBA. Not just that era, in the history, okay? The way they played as a group and the way they defended, you know, they were able to contain one of the greatest offensive players in the history of the game, okay? And the only way you were going to beat them was as a team. You weren't going to beat them with an individual player, individual talent. And that all came from the Detroit Pistons team and they had phenomenal leadership. You know, they talk about the physicality of the game. That was, yes, of course, in that era. But the thing that stood out with the Detroit Pistons teams were their mental toughness. This was as mentally tough of the group. You know that, you know I've ever seen, and and, you know the funny thing I think Coach and I we laugh about it now. You know you you talk about you know disliking someone. Well, the the Bulls and the Pistons really disliked them. We really disliked each other. But you know the funny thing about it is we became the Detroit Pistons (laughs) when it was all (laughs) said and done. (laughs) We became the Detroit Pistons. So I owe that to Coach Sir it was a joy to be able to spend just that one year together, together with coach Daly and, and coach sir and, and coach sir. And I, you know, we talk countless hours of the day and, and uh, you know, it's like the podcast. I mean, we were going to talk anyway for an hour. <laughs> now we're just happen to be taping <laughs> it today. So we learned so much from this gentleman coaches coach the greatest players We got to go into the dream team. We got to go into championships. We got to go into all of that. But because of him, you know, I learned the mental toughness that's necessary to win. Everybody talk about game plans and all that. There's a certain level that you have to have. You know, as coach and I, you know, coach has taught me there has to be a blended brand of basketball that must be played if you're going to be crowned champion. So. Uh, I owe that to learning it from the Pistons, learning it, you know, when I was there in Chicago. And uh, and now we're sharing that with uh, with
0: everyone else. So, you know, you talk about the mental toughness of the Detroit Pistons. And, you know, you often hear kind of retired players get onto younger players, especially when they do TV and stuff and they criticize them heavily. But from your perspective then, Coach, because you've coached all the way from the Bad Boy Pistons and you even just a few years ago were coaching college players who you see in the NBA right now what is the biggest difference you see in players? Because a lot of people say now players, they only play one year of college and they've made it before they've actually made it. What's the biggest difference in your opinion, though, looking at those guys in the 80s and 90s compared to the guys that come into the league now?
1: Well, you know, when we won our championship um, the first year, our salary cap for the entire team was $6.2 million, the whole team. (laughs) (laughs) And now the luxury tax is $147 million. If you can imagine that. I mean, so money uh, BJ and I talk about all the time. The biggest thing that we look for now is to players. I look for players that love the game. You know, the players back then they'd love to play. We didn't make enough money, you know, uh, they didn't make enough money to be anything but that. And, You know, I was watching NBA TV last night, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at it. I'm flipping the channels. The Bulls were on, and I wanted to see one of my friends coaching. And all of a sudden, I'm looking, and the two announcers in the studio are Isaiah Thomas, one of my absolute favorites, and Dominique Wilkins, (laughs) who I had his first eight years in Atlanta playing for me, the human highlight film, who's one of the greatest. Jordan was 1A. He was 1B. I mean, as far as excitement you know, when they were both young kids coming into the league. Uh, and and it was so much fun. And I'm watching those two at like 60 years old are talking about the NBA and their love of talking about it and loving the players nowadays. It's refreshing for me to see. But uh, so I think that's number one. And the way they competed. I mean, they they competed. Trust me, if you watch a game, I'm watching the game the other night and uh, Trey – Trey Young from the Hawks is playing against someone on TV, and the game ends, and they're hugging and kissing. That would not have happened when the
2: Bulls and Pistons played. <laughs> Coach, I wanted to hug you. I wanted to. I wanted to hug and kiss you, but I, you, I did
1: not because you, you, you kicked me my ass, So I didn't want to. Hug you. <laughs> no, no, I did not. I, you know, and the funny thing was Michael Jordan's dad. I loved James Jordan as BJ did, and we became phenomenal friends. Uh, and that was our friendship. Uh, James Jordan, and this is, tells you a little bit about Chuck Daly. Every time we played the Bulls, especially in the uh, in Detroit in the Palace of Auburn Hills at the time, James Jordan would come to the game, and he would come and sit before the game for an hour with Chuck and I in our coach's office. Wow! Welcome, welcomed him loved it some coaches would say get him out of here we loved it we just talked and never talked about it. michael never talked you never about
2: shared him. that with me coach so you would
1: talk nope. to
0: mr Jordan. just talk about life or
1: yeah just talked just talked you know and, and and the funny thing was uh at the end of this is before bj gets in the league uh uh the year before uh we were winning gonna win the championship we're beating michael you know in six games and. Uh, and uh, and during the playoffs, it was rumored that I was going to be offered a head coaching job to of a team that will remain nameless. It was, it was Minnesota Timberwolves. And, uh, they, were, they were an expansion team, and yeah. and Chuck is trying to talk me out of it. You don't want to go there. You'll you just won sixty three games. You know you're going to win five games there. You know, and and I turned to James Jordan and I said, James, what would you do? He said, he shook his head like. Um, I I don't think so. And I said, How about if we could get Mike to come? He said, Not to Minnesota. No, no, <laughs> you know he said, hey, we're not going to Minnesota. Uh, I'm Chicago not going, going to Minnesota. Enough. I'm not going to Minnesota. He said, I'm not going. But that was the relationships that we really valued. And it was, you know, and it was and, and that's that's what to us coaching was about the relationships with the players we had, the relationships and with family and and that, like when we talk about the dream team later on, you know, we got to convince Mike to play in the dream team. And this people think that he hates the Pistons. He hated the Pistons, but he didn't hate Chuck Daly. And, you know, and, and that's how he became, you know, came on the team. So, you know, but I, I, I just, I love that part of it, you know, and they played to win every night. That was the best part. There was, it was just very really simple. we we came, we wanted to play that game and we played hard. And when the game was over, we moved on to the next game.
2: Hey coach, I've always wanted to ask you a question. I got so much I want to ask you, but at what point did you guys realize, when I say you guys, the coaching staff and the front office realize we can win with this group, right? You see so much tinkering. You see so much tinkering like today, like, you know, like, like, I, I don't i'm not buying into this like okay they just made this big trade in brooklyn and all of a sudden they're saying this team can win you know philadelphia you're gonna bring james Harden. this team can win at what point did you believe that this group this core group of players, with the pistons with the pistons yeah at what point and you say we're gonna let we're gonna we're gonna go to battle with this group and allow this team to reach whatever they're supposed to reach what at what point did that happen for you guys
1: yeah, I was in Detroit, in Atlanta at the time, coaching the Hawks with Dominique and those guys, and and we were battling the uh, the Pistons every year, and then they they got finally past us, and then they went after Boston, and they kept going to they went to Game Seven and lost. Then they and then they went the following year, and Isaiah threw the ball away when they could have clinched it in the last few seconds. That was before I got there, and then the year before I got there. Uh, they could have clinched it in game six and a mysterious foul was called. Uh, and then they lost by two points in game seven. So they probably three years prior to me coming there, they knew they were good enough and they were. And as you know, having won three championships, there has to be a little luck in there at yes, some point. Yeah. Yep, yep, Staying yep. injury free, referee calls, making big shots, making free throws when they count. And and so probably three years ahead of time, they knew they were good enough, but they hadn't quite gotten over it.
0: How much do you think that those tough experiences of just not going far enough? Losing at the very last second or losing in the round before the finals, how much does that pay in? Because now we talk about championship experience, playoff experience, and groups having gone through that. We saw it with the Bucks. Last year, they finally went through and won a championship after year upon year of disappointment. How much does that disappointment fuel teams and how much do you use that to motivate your players when it does come to time to winning?
1: Mo, I think a lot has to do with, does your coach, does your front office keep the team together and maybe make one little tweak in it? Because when you're that close, the sometimes impatience of the front office breaks a team up. And uh, So I think the teams that... Uh, you know, one of our sayings was, you can't skip steps. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, we, you know, the Pistons didn't skip steps of trying to get through Boston. The Bulls didn't skip a step. And the Pistons didn't skip a step of beating the Lakers. They had to overcome that. And then the Bulls didn't skip a step. They had to beat the Pistons. Uh, rarely do you ever go from one point all the way up, you usually have some heartache in between.
0: So yeah, go ahead, mo So, so I, I have to ask this before we get on to talking about the dream team in your illustrious career. This trade that's just happened in the NBA, James Harden and Ben Simmons switching teams. You obviously coached Ben Simmons at LSU, and I wanted to get your take on how you expect him to fit in with the Brooklyn Nets and what you've seen going from his college days to from where he was a pretty confident player to kind of what we saw at the end of the playoffs last season how how yeah. do you think he's changed as a player why do you think that is if we can dive into that for a little bit because i'm sure the people at home are very keen to know
1: yeah uh since he's engaged to a girl from london i think so yes.
0: uh yes know. yes much <laughs> hey, the of, hey, uh, a this way, he's a very
1: here. good scout of, he's a very good scout of talent from london <laughs> <laughs> Better than BJ and I were as far as when we were drafting players, not with our wives, not with our wives. (laughs) But uh, she doesn't listen to my podcast anyway, so I can say, yeah, what, regarding that. But anyway, the the thing about Ben, uh, and and BJ went and saw him when he was, you know, in his high school years in Australia. And then when I got to LSU, I called BJ and said, let me tell you something, this is the most phenomenal kid I've ever seen. We discussed it and everything. He, he's the best, most talented player I've ever seen enter the NBA.
2: Explain ever. that, coach. Explain yeah. that, coach. Explain he that.
1: Was, he you know, he, you know, Bird, Jordan was, stayed three years in college. Bird stayed over four years in college. Uh, you know, Magic. Uh, LeBron came in at a high school, but he was ahead of LeBron. He was way more advanced. Imagine that. He's three inches taller than LeBron. He was bigger than LeBron coming in. This kid was at 18 years of age. He was six foot ten and a half, 243 pounds. He was the fastest player on the floor. Uh, But I've never seen anyone that could pass like that. I mean, anyone. And his vision. Magic included? Magic included? Magic included at the same age. I mean, magic made the no-look fancy stuff, but Ben saw everyone and delivered it to everyone. Magic used to wait to make the home run play. Ben uh, will give it up at three-quarter court to a guy racing for a layup. You know, I mean, it's a different style, but he's so much faster than Urban was in the open court. Uh, I heard him this morning at his press conference in Brooklyn say, this is going to be fun because we're going to play at the pace I like with Steve Nash, which I agree with. Brooklyn played very slow with Harden, very slow. Their pace was one of the slowest in the NBA. Um, But And because James also dribbled a lot. So they didn't take shots very early in the shot clock. This is a guy that's going to get the ball, and he gets excited when he throws the ball to someone to make a shot. Seth Curry, you know, Kyrie Irving, You know, all these guys, that Patty Mills and now Durant, all those guys uh, driving to the basket, dumping it off uh, for Drummond. I I think it's going to be really, really special for him. But I think the part, BJ, about him was he did not need to come to college. The rules made him come to college, but he was ready. He physically and mentally, basketball-wise, was ready for the NBA. I've never seen a player on the court against NBA players that no one in the NBA can stay in front of them. Mm. That's, you know, Irvin was a guy that it was easy to stay in front of because he was so strong. He just backed you in. This guy is so fast. No one can stay in front of him. That's was the nemesis to really stop him from my encouragement of you need to develop your shot. Why coach? I keep, I don't have to take it. I can get by everyone. He understands now, but that was my thing. I just pray for him that he just really gets back to loving the game, loving the best part of uh, NBA basketball is being on a great team with great teammates. Right. And he expressed that to, to this morning that he's really looking forward. To it. He went, you know, eight, nine months without that. So I'm hoping that that really comes full circle for him. And I and I just, I think Kevin Durant and I think Steve Nash is the perfect coach for him because Steve played the position so well.
0: So, you know, I just wanted to expand on just something you just said there real quick. Sorry, BJ. Um, You know, when you said to him about practicing his outside shooting and he said, I don't need to, I can get by everyone. So... Is it been the three-point shooting has been a thing he's never been interested in developing because he's got that? Because we hear things in the media and fans say a lot of stuff of he's scared to shoot this shot. So are you saying it's simply he thinks he's good enough that he doesn't need to even shoot those shots?
1: No, I think when he was in a freshman in college, when he was 18 years old, my my whole thing when I I was brought into LSU to coach him because they promised him that he would have an NBA coach tutor him basically and the coach that was there prior to me was eric musselman who had been in the nba uh actually worked with chuck and i in orlando when bj was there but he eric's a coach of arkansas now and uh he went to the university of nevada at that time from lsu so they had to scramble in july to try to get me to come there and uh and the the only reason i didn't stay in the nba was my daughter went to LSU, and my wife said, "Oh, I want to go to Baton Rouge," <laughs> so that's why we went to Baton Rouge. You know? And uh, I would have preferred Oklahoma City, I think, you know. But
2: uh, but
1: anyway, we went there, and uh, and you know, so my thing to him was really simple. I said, "I'm not worried about you being the first pick in the draft. That's not what this is about. I'm not worried about you becoming the rookie of the year." I'm worried about you. I want you to become the MVP in this league. That's how good you are. So I set the bar super high. And then when we would work together, I would say, you're good enough right now to be the first pick. You're good enough to be rookie of the year. But to do the other stuff, you need a complete game. And that's still the conversation. That's still the conversation. A lot of things have you know, gotten mixed up in the thing prior to that. But he still has to three-point shot to me is not important for him. He just, he just has to be able to make 17 to 20-foot shots, you know, not 23
0: foot I, shots. I think the free throws uh, is the most important.
1: Oh, well, see, he, he shot very good free throws for us. He was over 70%. He made 17 or 19 free throws in one game for us. Uh, right now, mechanically, his elbow is are out almost perpendicular. I'm not sure. That, I know what the hell that is, but it's out <laughs> to the side. You know, but he, you know, it's, it's crooked. And so he needs to straighten it out. Uh, I can't believe that, you know, they they couldn't correct that. It's really simple. And then it's confidence. And I don't think a lot of people would say when you lose confidence as an athlete, golf, basketball, any, any sport, premier soccer, it's about confidence. That confidence is mental, right? That's mental health, mental skills, and so that's one of the things that great athletes lose the quickest is confidence. And that's from poor performance. So that's what happened there. And I think it just snowballed tremendously in that series against Atlanta last year.
2: You, you know, coach, I, I've, you know, I remember when he was there and you and I would, 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 uh-huh. would, you know, we, we talk and we still talk to this day. There's, there's is one thing, cause you've coached great players. I've played with great players. All these great players, they have a presence about them. They walk into a room, they walk into a locker room, they get on the court, you know they're there. Ben Simmons, without question, is as gifted as a player. He has all he, he has every tool in the toolbox. You know, he's 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 got the he's he size, strength, and all those things. My question to you is very simple. Where does he fit mentally into this pecking order? as far as is he the best player is he the second best player third player where does he fit because we see the gifts Mm -hmm. and you've coached him you know him where does he fit in all this with his natural personality where where does he fit into this
1: yeah that's that's a great one so from a physical physical standpoint you know he's at the very top of the league, top 10 physical athletes. But what makes the guys that really excel in the top 10 is that they have that incredible mental skills that those mental Isaiah, you know, Chris, Paul, those guys, man, they're, they're so mentally tough and they're not. And I I think that's what makes them great.
0: Is that, um, is that a but, born skill or is that something that a player can learn?
1: I, I, I think it, personally, Mo, I think it's more born mm-hmm. and then you can get someone to help it, you know, uh, just like a coach, you know, he can, uh, it's got to be a real expert in that field, not in the field of psychology as much as a combination. I think nowadays, I think the me- best mental skills coaches are ones that really have expertise in the sport and in that area Boy, that's hard to find someone who does, but I think that is the thing. And it's not easy because it can come and go so quickly, but the ones that you, I mean, every athlete in every sport when they perform poorly, you see, boy, that there's a drop unless you can, you're so strong, that can keep it. That's my hope for him is that all of a sudden he has such a great experience he and the teammates he's around can lift him up because I think when you're with a great team, you can get lifted up by the, the, your support people. I think Pippen played better because Jordan and the others were there. I think it's happened all the time. And I, I just think when you're around greatness, it, it kind of like gets on you a little bit, hopefully. So I he he was in a very good state this morning. I was really happy for him. And I think it's gonna be it's it's obviously a great change for him. So, I hope so. my dogs agree. Yes. <laughs> they love Ben.
0: No, it's fascinating, you know, what fans have their takes on and what the media like to say, and then getting the perspective from someone who's been there and coached him and seen him grow as you know, you know, as a player. My question is now do you think that his fit with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving is a good fit? Because as talented as Ben is, he's great at finding guys and getting them easy looks. Whereas Kyrie and Katie are notorious for creating their own looks of the dribble. How much do you expect their games to be elevated by the presence of Ben Simmons on that team?
1: I think it could go through the roof. I really do. Because, uh, the one thing about when you're a great player like KD, if you can get into the open court to get easy shots, so the whole defense can't stack up on you. You know, I'll put Kevin against anyone one on one. Kyrie is one of the most gifted players we've ever seen in the league. A total magician. Uh, I think he's one of those guys that you know. You know, BJ was a point guard. Kyrie is a point guard. This guy is a scorer. You know, he's a point guard masquerading as a scorer. And so I think just saying to him, you go, don't worry about bringing the ball up the court. Go up there and score. I think he could be unstoppable. I really do. The thing about Ben is he's 6'11 now. He's grown almost an inch since he's been in the league. 6'11 and a half almost. And so he has a terrific post-up game. And that's where you can really do some damage on who's going to guard him. You know, like Draymond Green, you know, guards CP3 when they play Phoenix because he's not super fast. Mm -hmm. Ben's too fast for that matchup to happen. Let's say you got to put someone small and quick, but now he can go in. He's one of the best rebounders in the league. I just think, but they also have some really good players in Patty Mills and Seth Curry that can flat out make shots. Joe Harris, when he returns. Yeah. If we can ever get his ankle better, I'll give him my
2: ankle. You know, I do it. (laughs) Hey hey coach, I want to shift a little bit to Philly. We're talking a lot about Brooklyn. I want to shift to Philly. Sure. And I was saying earlier, I think this is perhaps one of Doc Rivers greatest coaching years in his career. Thus far. And the reason I'm gonna say this, and here's why is because Doc Rivers has coached through the adversity and all of the dysfunction that has happened. And when all of the smoke cleared, this team minus Ben Simmons and all of the things that has happened, they're like a game or so out of first place. Yeah. That to me is an incredible achievement. What do you think of Doc Rivers coaching this year? And what do you think with the addition? Because now with the addition of another piece, Doc Doc Rivers is going to lose two starters. He's going to lose a rotational player in Drummond. You're adding James Harden. And we're still thinking that they should win the championship. Right. So can you share with, I, I think Doc Rivers has to be up for coach of the year. But what do you think of the trade from the Philadelphia standpoint?
1: Well, you know, uh, from a front office standpoint, um, Daryl Morey and Tad Brown, who were the executives running the Houston Rockets, who are running Philadelphia now, he had great trust in them and they had great trust in James. So they they knew what they wanted. They knew from experience that this guy is another level. Uh, Doc had always been a fan because he had always And got your butt kicked by James. So Mm -hmm. uh, the interesting thing that James said this morning in his press conference, I thought was he always respected. And one of his bucket list things was to play for Doc Rivers. Well, let me tell you, when that is said by a player, that's you talk about validating a coach that you can't get any better than that. And Doc has been coaching now 24 years. And I remember when I first went and told him, I really think you should consider coaching. told me to go F myself. Because he was in media, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in TV after he played for 13 years. And I drafted him and coached him for eight years in Atlanta. So I was very close to him and I said, I think you could be a great coach. And he said, I don't want to be any damn coach. No, I don't want to do that. And he has just been phenomenal.
0: What what made him him change his mind?
1: Probably because he got offered a job. He The <laughs> job. job I was at, I, I convinced him to be a coach. And then the next thing you know, he took our job, but he, uh, you know, he, he just did it and he they gave him a bad team and he became coach of the year's first year out. Mm-hmm. And I think what he did learn is that the difference, he also got fired from the same team that he was coach of the year with. And I think that also is a humbling experience, but also makes you better when you get fired. Uh, because now you're either going to fall off the earth or you're going to really figure out what you did wrong. And then within four months after being fired, Danny Ainge offered him the job with the Celtics. So I think, you know, he's gone through a lot of tough times. You know, he's been fired uh, twice. He got, you know, at the Clippers and also in Orlando. So when you get fired, you don't have fear. (laughs) And also, you know, his strength is in relationships, but he's really become a good tactician. Yep. Uh, he he's always went out and hired great coaches as assistants, which I give him credit for. He's had Tom Thibodeau, Lawrence Frank. Uh, he's always had Ty good Lue. assistants. Ty, Ty Lue is Lue,
0: one of the best coaches in the league right now. But for he, the Clippers, yeah,
1: Mo, he brought Ty Lue in there after because he was Kevin Garnett's friend in Boston. He yeah. brought him in like as a coaching assistant to teach him, and then like you know three years later, he made him the defensive coordinator when Lawrence Frank left. And that's when he just blew up as a coach. And I I think that, you know, he sees talent in coaches and he sees talent in players. And I think that's, that's what, but he's really a good X and O guy, which a lot of former players aren't.
0: One, One thing that fascinates me about Doc Rivers is he was traded for a pair of first round picks when the Clippers wanted to hire him as their head coach. They sent the Celtics a couple of picks just to get him to go and sign over there. So, my question is, you know, I hear from people that some coaches are better for player development. Some coaches are better for coaching veterans and getting them to gel. You saw what Doc Rivers did with the Celtics in bringing in Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and leading them to a championship. And that's why the Clippers wanted him to put him with CB3 and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan to make those guys mesh. That's why the Sixers right. want him to try and make those guys mesh. Do you think he's going to be able to make the James Harden and Joel Embiid fit actually work because James Harden hasn't had the smoothest of rides playing alongside other superstars so far in his career.
1: Great point. Uh, Yes, he will. He'll maximize those guys. Uh, I think people are just, you know, and BJ will attest to this, you, you know, your great players better deliver if you're going to win a championship, but it's your guys that have to become stars as role players that actually helped win championships. You know, everyone talks about Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars, but we won because of Rodman Lambeer and all these guys, Benny Johnson, who were all-star role players. And so I think that's, that's what it, and they have to make sure those guys, they gave up a lot in this trade, in my opinion. So I, it'll be interesting to see, but the, You know, it is so hard to win a championship, so damn hard, and so many things can go wrong. And uh, I think they did the right thing for their – both teams did the right thing to give their teams a chance.
2: That's the number one thing. You know, Coach, you know, this this list just came out with the top Mm. 15 coaches.
0: Oh, you want to go there already, B.J.? Yeah, I got already. Okay, I got to go there. I so gotta, should I read the go. list for the people? Should I read the list yeah, for the people?
2: Let's read the list, and I want to because Coach
0: has coached against them, so I yeah. want to read the yeah. list and I want to hear his so, thoughts. So the list was selected by a panel of forty-three current and former NBA head coaches in collaboration with the National Basketball Coaches Association, which is led by President Rick Carlisle, head coach of the Indiana Pacers. Okay. So the 15 greatest coaches in NBA history, according to this list, Red Auerbach, Casey Jones, Pat Riley, Larry Brown, Chuck Daly, Don Nelson, Jerry Sloan, Red Holzman, Greg Popovich, Eric Spolster, Phil Jackson, Jack Ramsey, Lenny Wilkins, Doc Rivers, and Steve Kerr. And how many of those guys have you
2: coached against, Coach?
1: Coached against everyone except Hourback, and 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 you asked me if I was sick that day, and I said no. Damn it, he's a little older than I am, but uh, ever, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know he was coaching guys that way before BJ was born. Um, but you know Hourback's the only one. Imagine. Wow. That.
2: So That's you've insane. coached against fourteen of those guys on that list.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the scary part is. I, I added people to that list because I think 15 was a weird number.
2: You and know? Rick Carlisle, you, you brought Rick Carlisle into the league, right?
1: Yeah, as a coach. You know, as he, a coach. Yeah, he just finished playing uh, with the Celtics, and he worked for his former coach, the great Bill Fitch, who passed away a couple of weeks ago, who was ironically in the top 10 coaches at the 50-year anniversary, now the poor guy passes away and he can't make the top 15 now. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, so Bill Fitch, you know, he coached over in 2,000 games. Can you imagine that? 2,000 wow, games. Wow, wow, wow. And, uh, excuse me, once And, uh, you know, so there's so many great coaches. My high school coach and the person that brought me into the NBA was the great UB Brown, who, you know, I, I, I guess... Over in Europe, they can see uh, when he does some games on TV. Yep. I guess I don't know, yeah. But you uh, be uh is 88 years old now, and uh he coached me my sophomore year, freshman and sophomore year of high school. And uh, the greatest teacher we've ever had in the NBA actual really, te- uh, not even there's not even a second that's how great he was as a coach. And
2: how
1: teacher. come you say that? How come you say that? Well, he, he just was his uh. He, you talk about presence, BJ. He just had that ability. He was a high school teacher, a high school coach that coached uh, U.S. football, U.S. basketball, and baseball. Uh, he just was a coach and teacher personified. But when he taught, the, no one in the room ever moved, whether it was a coach's clinic or a practice. You sat there on every word. He was so detailed the way he taught. And I I just, you know, he was just mesmerizing is the word I use. And I remember when I went to work for him, I was 27 years old, coaching Atlanta Hawks, and he was coach of the year. And Mike Fertello, who's another great coach, who's, you know, coached over 1,200 games. Mike and I are the assistants. And I remember the first day I went to practice, I am so scared. I have no idea about the NBA. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And he plucks me out of college and says, you're going to be my assistant. And I don't coach anything like him. Fratello coaches exactly like him. Same voice, same everything. And I, he walks up to me as we're going to our first practice. And he and UB says, hey. Don't try to be like me. Just be yourself. It's the greatest advice anyone's ever given to me. And, you know, and I said it was liberating. And, I, you know, and so, you know, it allowed me to coach for 50 years. I mean, basically, because I just try to be myself. But you be the great Dick Mata, who coached the Chicago Bulls, was one of the great, also a college coach turned teacher. Rick Adelman coached 2,000 games in our league. Right. Portland, uh, Houston, uh, this guy could flat-out coach. And uh, Mike D'Antoni, you know, coach 15 years after being a player in Italy, you know, comes to the U.S. and r- really changes, I think, B.J. and I have said the way the NBA is played. He brought fast tempo uh, to the league. And I thought what he did in Phoenix with Steve Nash, you know, they, their slogan was, you know we're going to get a shot up in seven seconds or less. You know, that was not done. Uh, George Carl w- was an excellent coach, won over a thousand games in our league. Fitch, I mentioned Rudy Tomjanovich, coached the Houston Rockets with mm. Drexler and those guys. The guy from New Jersey by the name of Al Addles, who was oh, with the Golden state Warriors, yep. one
2: of the great voices. He's got a great oh, and and
1: and Al Addles, uh, Mo was also the toughest. Player in the league, no one fought. That's when you could fight if you did something mm-hmm. wrong. No one fought Al Addles because they would get knocked out. What do they anyway. call him, the
2: Terminator. What do they call? Him? Yeah. What was his the- and,
1: and and he was from Newark, New Jersey. And when I came into the league, I heard that voice, and it was like you know. I said, oh "My God, this is this is scary." I mean, this voice is like God speaking. <laughs> and and he, and I just. You know, when I told him I went, i from New Jersey. He took a liking to me, and I was always his friend forever. And I love him to death. And what a guy he was! Uh, but Al was incredible. Coach Bernie Bickerstaff, who's J.B. Bickerstaff, the coach of Cleveland's dad. You know, was another guy. Coach. It was an executive in our league, but he also coached over a thousand games. You know, Cotton Fitzsimmons, the coach of Phoenix Suns and Kansas City Kings, great teams, real innovator. Carlisle has coached over 1,700 games. Imagine that. Yep, yep, you know, yep, yep. Uh, as a head coach, you know, Mike Dunleavy, you know, Fortello, Del Harris was one of our great teachers in the game. Uh, you know, so I, I just think that there's so many great ones in there. 15 guys got named and everything. We could probably make a list of 10 more. But uh, it was nice that they honored the coaches, at least. That was good. Uh, But I think there's
0: more to come on that. Now, I want to ask you about a dream team and stuff, but I've got one question before we get there. If you had to make a starting five of all the players you've coached, but not the best ability, the best players to coach, because I think there's a difference in players that are great at basketball and players that are receptive to their coaches and take things on board. Who would be those five guys that you've had playing under you That you think took the most on board?
1: Well, you know it's funny. You know, and I don't know Mo that you know. Everyone talks about the dream team being the greatest team of all time, but two years prior to that, Chuck and I coached the East All Stars, and I am looking at the picture right now in nineteen ninety in Miami All Star game. That team would have beat the dream team by twenty five points.
0: Who's on the
1: team, Okay, so. I'm going to tell you how good a coach I was. I had four guys from the Pistons on that team. Can you imagine that? Four to twelve players are Pistons. <laughs> I had Dumars and Isaiah. I had Rodman, and I had, uh, and I had Bill Lambeer on the team. Patrick Ewing, <laughs> Larry Bird, Robert Parish, Charles Barkley, um, a guy by the name of Reggie Miller. <laughs> Uh, Michael Jordan Dominique Wilkins Kevin McHale and uh, oh that Kid Pippen yeah the Kid Pippen too not a bad team Uh, it was just it was ridiculous team
0: and look at who they beat they they beat Hakeem Olajuwon Magic Johnson uh, David Robertson Drexler Mullins uh, AC Green James Wett like the west conference was stacked as well so who is the coach of that team was it riley uh, who was I would, it? I would assume so um i'm going to have to check this one okay uh yeah pat riley pat riley
1: yeah I beat his ass all the time anyway <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> coach you know. got to fire but, but why why we, do you think beat they them. could be the dream team how could they
0: what what well, makes Latter- say that because,
2: what,
1: Larry Bird was healthy. When the dream team came about, Larry couldn't play anymore. And so, uh, and Michael was two years younger, but Isaiah was such a better player than Stockton, not even close. And there was nothing, nothing at all like uh, Rodman. In the world, in the world. He might have started World War III, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> but and, 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 you know, Barkley was on that team. It was an amazing team, but these guys were just in their prime, and and Dumars was a great player. I mean, Reggie Miller could flat out shoot, but BJ knows Kevin McHale. I don't know right. if I've ever seen a better back-to-the-basket player. To me, he was right. unstoppable, and the chief Robert Parrish, and, and, and Ewing was really – Patrick at in 1990 was a flat-out stud. Yeah yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It was just my feeling that uh, I, you know uh, they were they were so good, so ready, and they were a team. They were a team, you know. And and uh, I, the other group was an all-star group. They weren't a team, in my opinion.
2: Hey, coach. You 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 know you've you've coached now for quite some time. Thank you. And. Mm-hmm. How have you maintained your ability to coach players that were in the 70s, 80s, 90s, till now? Like, how have you changed as a coach? Because the players are different now, right? And the game is different, but how have you continued to be current in how to coach and connect with today's athletes?
1: You know, that's a great question because I have coaches 30 years younger than me that can't connect to players. And my thing is, while I was coaching, when I went to coach the Pistons, for instance, or when I'm coaching the Hawks starting out, my babies are being born, right? You know. Right. And then when I'm coaching the Pistons, my kids are three and six when I first go there. And, and so I constantly were watching them grow up. So I was keeping tr- track naturally, organically, with the trends that were going on. But then when I got into college at different times like my first 6 years of coaching were in college coaching and then my last 9 were in college I coached Michael Jordan's two sons is that the number one thing in coaching that I learned that I didn't know when I started was that you have to love every player
2: mm. I have a
1: lot of coaches that don't like their players and guess what it's like having your own family. If you don't like your own kids, they'd figure it out real quick. So I love the players that I coach. I, I'm totally committed to helping them get better. A lot of coaches now, especially at the collegiate level, it's all about them. It's about me winning. And uh, the pro coaches, I think the biggest thing now, our staffs are so big. Most of my pro career, I we were two assistant coaches. And a head coach. Now there's like six or eight people on a coaching staff, 10.
0: And in college, the coaches make crazy money while the players don't make nothing as well.
1: Yeah. And, and so I think right now the biggest thing is, you know, just like, you know, you're doing it for the right reasons, but the biggest thing is, I think is I understand now that of the 12 or 15 players on your team, every one of them, Mo. BJ, I have to coach differently. It's just like you know, my two children and BJ's kids. Each one of them is different, so I gotta coach. I gotta parent them differently. It's the same in coaching. If I got twelve different players, I gotta coach twelve people differently. And if you try to coach them all the same, you're gonna be a massive failure because they're, they're all different.
0: So when you got to coach in the dream team how much yeah. coaching did they require or was it simply because we always hear the saying, the great players will work out a way to play together. Was it a question of just bringing them all in and letting them scrimmage together? How much actual coaching did that squad require? None, none, <laughs>
1: none, none. No, the only thing was to make sure they all got to the game. That was the whole key, make sure they all get there. But I, I, I think, uh, it, it, you know, there, there was none. I mean, we had, Coach K, one of the greatest college coaches of all time, he was an assistant on that team. Chuck was the head coach. Lenny Wilkins, who's, you know, coached 2,700 games. He's the other assistant. P.J. Carlissimo is a college coach. He's another assistant. So, I mean – there was no coaching involved. Uh, to be honest with you, the average winning margin was, was forty-seven points. A you, ridiculous, yeah, ridiculous. You know. Do, do you have a story uh, so,
0: about being with that team that you could share with our uh, listeners that they might not know?
1: Yeah, because the thing that was most important was they named Chuck the coach of the team uh, a year and a half ahead of time, and and we would and and, and they named the team a year ahead of time. Not like they do now. Now they pick 30 players to basically try out. And if guys get hurt during the year or if something happens, uh, then just before they go to the Olympics, they name the 12 players. Much better. We had players that really got hurt, got older. And, now, and our player, Isaiah Thomas, wasn't named to the team. <laughs> so now we're coaching him for a whole year and he's not on the team and he deserves to be on the team. So that was really hard. But when we got out to uh, San Diego where we had training camp, I kept saying to Chuck, as we traveled through the NBA season, what are you going to say at the opening meeting? What are we going to say at that opening meeting? It's so important, Chuck, you got to establish what we're going to be about. And, And as BJ knows, Chuck said, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. That's it. Nothing, you know, a week later, hey, what do you think we should say at that opening meeting? Whatever. Don't worry about it. you know. And all the way up, all the way up to we're now going into the meeting room in Sheridan Torrey Pines in San Diego. And he made the room, the meeting room, into a U-shaped table. And it's really important. He was not standing in front like most leaders do when they lecture. He's sitting amongst them. We're all equal. And I thought that was really key. And he said to them, guys, I only have two things to tell you. Number one, the, the games in the Olympics the, and the FIBA games, Euroleague games, they're only 40 minutes long. An NBA game is 48 minutes. The average professional player on the team of the 11 professional players, their average uh, was between playing 38 minutes and 41 minutes a game.
0: With no load management. With no load. Let's, yeah, no load let's get there. One in load there right now. <laughs> It was
1: not invented at that point. And so now these guys, so Chuck says to them, listen, uh, you can't, two things. We all have to commit to winning a gold medal. If we don't win a gold medal, they're not going to let us back in the country. <laughs> Do we commit to that? And they said, yes. He said, you can't worry about how much playing time you get and how many shots you get. Do you commit to that? They all said yes. It was pretty easy. Now, he said to them, this was the one that I didn't get. He said, the most important thing though, is that you be on time. And I'm saying, shoot, we waited a year and a half and now you're telling them the most important thing is to be on time. And all of a sudden, when he said that, he looked at Michael Jordan and he said, Michael, if you're not on time for practice, Uh, the bus to go to practice or a meeting, then that means you don't respect magic and magic. If you're not on 10, that means you don't respect Barkley. And he went right down through every player in the team. And it was all about respect. And you know what? So the next day we have practice at 11 o'clock. I go down as a good assistant to check out to see if the bus is there. It was my job. I had to make sure the bus is there to go to practice (laughs) 10 o'clock in the morning. I go out there. I look, there's a bus right out front of the hotel. I, I go and I put my head on the bus. It's empty all the way in the back. And the last row is one player, Michael Jordan. He is there one hour ahead of everyone. and No one would ever came closer than 15 minutes before we were supposed to leave. From then on, you had players getting on a bus 45 minutes, 30 minutes. And in an NBA season, the best players get on a bus Usually about a two minutes to one minute before we're supposed to about, leave.
2: about two seconds. Yeah, right. <laughs> and,
1: the, and the head coach wouldn't get on the bus till the best player was on. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> if you're but, a good head coach, you, that's what you did. <laughs> that's what you do if
1: you're smart. And and when he did that, I said, Man, that took everything to a new level. So every team, every business I run, it's always about respect. And that and that's where Chuck was such a genius at. He knew what was important getting them to all buy into the vision of winning a goal, but not worrying about yourself. But then the second thing of showing respect
2: to the other guys on the team. You know, you know something, Mo, and I, I want to say this for, for coach, you know, we just talked about, and I'm just listening, talk about, you know, it's easy to coach and coach went along with that, but there's an art to coaching great players and everyone can coach great players. And Coach and Chuck Daly and Phil Jackson and all these guys. It's, it's not easy to coach those guys. You know, and, and and we just, you know, we were talking here. I know we were joking, but let me share something here. Coach, sir, know that you're not just coaching players, you're coaching people. And as a former player, I could say this, you only get one chance with, with the players in the locker room. And when those players Either say the, we're going to say the following because we only listen to the first speech. <laughs> we, I went to and coach That'd knows a this. And, co- a and, 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 and coach knows this, and this holds true in 1946, and it holds true. You only get one chance <laughs> to show that you can coach. And the moment those players in that locker room determine you don't know what you're saying, or you don't respect them. They're going to tune you out. And there's an art to coaching. You just don't put anyone in front of a group like that. And everyone says, yeah, it's easy because they are very you know, gifted. And that is true. But Coach Daly and Coach Sir and all of those people, Coach K, they got a gift. And that was well done. They made it look easy. That's why you guys are who you guys are. You guys made it look easy, and that was a phenomenal story. But the story is, is you got to connect with those people before you can even get to those players because those players are so gifted. There's no telling Michael Jordan what to do in the last three minutes of a game, (laughs) okay? If you can't connect with him on day one, you got no chance with any of those great players. So job well done. You guys making it look easy, but that's difficult. And coaching with expectations Ooh. is a lot different than coaching when no one expects you to be there. The pressure that you guys had on you, not only to win, but you had to win by 40 points. Mm. That, that me, it's, that's, yeah. that's
1: incredible. Hey, let me tell you what happened. There's always a back story, right, BJ? And so what, what happened? <laughs> So now you know the Pistons and uh, the Bulls were not kissing cousins at the time, and so Chuck's the coach of the dream team. Michael's playing and winning championships. He's exhausted, as when you finish a championship, as BJ will tell you, you got nothing left in the tank. You have right. spent it all, and so after after you know uh, you know Michael had been named to the team a year earlier, and now. All of a sudden, after winning the finals, they got to go to camp in a few days for the Olympics. Mike says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm done, man. I'm done. I I, I have nothing in the tank, Chuck. I can't. And so Chuck called him up and said, listen, after we get through training camp just to get organized, I will have no shoot-arounds. I will have no practice. <laughs> and when we get to Barcelona, you can play golf every damn day. Okay? Oh, see, that's culture. See, that's culture. Yes. You got to know yeah, your personnel. Play, you, play, you, play, you play golf every single day. And we literally brought the great late Payne Stewart, who was a neighbor of uh, a friend of Chuck's, uh, to come along with us. And he played golf with Michael every day in Barcelona <laughs> That's crazy. And, and the great Rod Thorne and Chuck would be playing behind them. They would close down the golf course, have security out there just for Michael Jordan to play. And so they're behind him as he's playing. And, you know, Michael can play a golf course in under two hours because there's no one else <laughs> in the course. And, and so he's playing golf. And the other guy he's playing with is one of the top PGA pros. And as they're driving on the golf course, Rod and Chuck are behind them in a golf cart. All of a sudden they go, look, and they see money. Michael's (laughs) wallet had fallen out of the golf cart. (laughs) It's on the middle of the fairway. And Rod Thorne, who's the vice president of the league, he's running the league, basically basketball. He picks up the thing and he says, do you think we should look inside of it to see how much money he has? (laughs) (laughs) And, and 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 Chuck says, no, 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 let's just give it to him. And Rod says, I gotta look, I gotta look, Good look, and he and he had like ten thousand dollars, you know, you know, I mean ten thousand dollars in his wallet, you know, and, and they were like, Oh my god, this is unbelievable. And so they got it to him by the next hole and everything. And then, but Chuck couldn't get over that the guy had that much money in his wallet that he's oh, carrying around. Yeah. And, and it was so magnificent, but he figured out, and you know what? We played game. Every game we played was at 10 p.m. Barcelona time because it was 4 o'clock U.S. time. And so all day long, there's nothing to do except for Mike to go play golf. And the biggest <laughs> problem was he wouldn't play, Mo, 18 holes. He had to play 36 holes.
2: Six. That's right. That's right.
1: And so when we're playing in the semifinals and, and it's really a tough game, he's going to play against, uh, you know, uh, Croatia or Lithuania. One of you, Marcellinus and Sabonis and those guys. Chuck says, can you only play 18 today? <laughs> Make sure you don't get tired. <laughs> yeah. So th- that's the relationships. And that's what I love about. It. That's what you miss. You miss the relationship.
0: What was everyone else doing all day while Michael Jordan was out on the golf course then? Mo, you never ask. Don't ask. I want to know, you know, I want to know from the standpoint of if you take someone like like Kobe, for example, right? When Kobe came to London for the Olympics, this guy was at the practice facility at 4 a.m. every day. And he would work out for like four hours before the rest of Team USA pulled up at 8 a.m. So at 8 a.m., he's in a full-blown sweat and he's been shooting the ball. But you're saying that these guys on the dream team, they weren't doing none of that.
1: Mm-mm. No, there was no practice, no nothing. We 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 rented a brand new entire hotel. Every room in the hotel, they had all their food there. They didn't have to do go out or anything. The only guy that left the hotel was Barkley. Oh, we- and he would go out <laughs> at three or four in the morning and walk the Ramelade, the great, you know, wide street there. You know, because he loved people, Charles. and with, so with he no was, security as well, is what we hear. And he just prayed he got back to the hotel safely, <laughs>
0: you know. Man, it's, it's crazy. Listen, coach, we can talk basketball for hours. You know, there's so many stories, so much experience that so we want to dive in. Um, we've been wrapping for over like an hour now. So we're going to have to get you back on the show. We really appreciate you coming through. I need the people, the listeners, the fans to show some love, show some support to thank coach sir for coming through show him some love where can the people find you online on social media and your podcast
1: yeah uh they can follow me on twitter at coaching underscore you uh or at brendan sir b-r-e-n-d-a-n-s-u-h-r uh you know and we have a few followers that you know and try to talk basketball try to talk coaching and things like that but Next month, Mo, we're going to have a big announcement that I'll come back and share with you guys. But for people that love coaching and love basketball, whether it's from youth coaching all the way up to pros, uh, we're going to unleash a platform that's going to change the world of coaching. So I'll share that the next time we come on. Hey, Coach,
2: can we can we reserve a spot for our future GM here, Mo Moosey, who wants <laughs> to be a general manager? You run an executive, Mike? For executives like a a, a executive like a camp, can we reserve for the for the Hoop Genius podcast Mo Muncie to come in and take your class over the summer? Can we do that?
1: that. Yeah, July uh, eleventh and twelfth at the Planet Hollywood in beautiful Las Vegas. Uh, We will have two hundred and twenty. People from around the world. That We're
0: 221
2: work. now, 221 now.
0: He's <laughs> going
2: to be there. He, he, he's, he's in the front row. He, yeah, he, listen, listen. The... I, was, I was
0: never good at school when I was a kid because it wasn't about well, basketball. This, anything. There basketball, are no exams. There'll be no exams. Exam, okay. I, I don't mind the exams. I just didn't want no, to be learning was- about useless things. I want to talk basketball. I want to learn every single piece of information that I can humanly absorb about this game. So I appreciate that that assist right there, BJ. Yeah, this is the front
1: office, front office training camp to be an NBA executive, scout, coach, uh, G League, Euro League. People from all over the world are going to come and teach as well as learn. And then prior to that, we have which BJ has been to. uh, I have a phenomenal learning session. My coaching you VIP. Uh, experience where for two oh. days, the best NBA head coaches teach the best from all over the world, um, you know, about coaching and they Mo, share everything. everything.
2: Everything. Mo, he has the best. It's the I, best. I need to be, so I need Mo, to- we know what you're going to do in the summer. Yes, We're sir. coming there and we're going to get you and you get a chance to learn from the master himself. I'm, you're I'm coming to it. Las Vegas,
0: baby. Hey, hey <laughs> he, he means the world. And I'm going to take in all of this information and then come back and make this podcast even greater for our listeners because that's what they deserve. Brendan, we need to get you on on a regular, a regular segment. We need to have you rocking with us more often. But,
1: so well, BJ's, been, BJ's been bragging about how, how incredible you are, but more importantly, <laughs> the people that are listening, how it's such, you know, he enjoys it so much because... And that's what it's about it's about when you the people that you're talking to enjoy it and and that's that's why i love the forum that you're doing it and you guys are great at it so i'm honored that you had me on thanks so much
0: we appreciate it it won't be the last time i can tell you that much this is you're gonna get sick of my voice by the end of the year i can promise you that much <laughs> 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 anyway to our listeners at home everyone thank you so much for tuning in Make sure you go and show some love to Coach Sale on the social media. Show some love to BJ. And as always, keep sharing the show. You know, the more you guys spread the word about the show and tell your friends to listen, to tune in, the more we can keep bringing you these great guests and having these great conversations. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something. Make sure that you subscribed across all platforms, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast, YouTube, wherever it may be. Make sure you subscribe. Thank you to our sponsor, NBA2K22. If you haven't yet, go and get yourself a copy. Coach BJ, thank you both for the wisdom. Thank you to our listeners at home. You guys know what it is get buckets.